Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gutterblog. That was a really weird always. I don't know what that was. As always. As, as always. Uh, with James from Gutterblog. It, it was quite nice, I thought. It was like, as always. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of affirming for me, at least. Ah, okay. It was sort of the pronunciation. I thought I went, as always. I don't know what about, as always. <laughs> it was like there was a bit of emotion in your voice as you said it. Like, you know, like you, you might give way to tears with the sort of beauty <laughs> of this long-term commitment. That I think that must be it, all right. You've got to the heart of the matter, as as, as always. Uh, you, you've managed <laughs> it's to It's kind it. of Pep Guardiola, almost. I am so happy. As always. So, so always. Always, so, so, so always happy. As always. As yeah. always. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Um... Very well. Good. Good. It's been a quiet weekend, I think. It has. I'm just trying to think, really. I mean, international football is happening. Jesus. Are you paying any attention to that no, at all? No, I just want it to be over so transfers can happen. Just get sure. it over with and get fucking going with transfers. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it feels inconsiderate at this point, both to the players and to all of us. You know, well, the, win- the window has officially opened as of Friday. Yeah. I see uh, Man City have done the uh, the old Haaland bot 2000 or 3000, yes. whatever he is at this point. Yeah, big Terminator vibes coming off uh, yeah. that cyborg that they've signed. <laughs> um, yes, uh, it's a sort of curious time because the window is open, but most contracts um, still run until the end of this month. So this is kind of transfer purgatory, I guess. It is. It is. Uh, and I, I get the sense that people are getting a little bit little bit antsy, a little bit yeah. anxious. Scrolling through our mentions, yeah. there's a lot of like, why why has nothing happened type questions. Um, do you want to address that? Do you, I mean, do you think that's something we should talk about? Because, you know, uh, for example, we had one on the, uh, on the Discord from Trally, who mm. says, how much weight do you give the Arteta frustrated narrative. Apparently, there's some stories doing the rounds that Mikel Arteta is hugely frustrated. I haven't seen those stories because I guess it was in a publication that I don't read. Mm. Um, uh, and Trally goes on to say, they've said it's a clear plan. And if he's already frustrated, the plan must not have been that clear. I think it's bullshit. Um, so, I mean, uh, look, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? Liverpool have made a signing. Uh, Man City have made a signing. We haven't made any signings. And... Yeah, I mean, uh, how frustrated do you think anyone really is at Arsenal, for example? Oh, I, well, I haven't heard anything to that effect. Right. Um, so I don't think there's any immense frustration. There might be, it's possible, but right. I haven't heard anything like that. Um, and, and only speaking for myself, I'm not frustrated at this point in time. We're still super early days, mm. I think. As you say, many players are still on international duty and um, 
it's a matter of days the window's been open. I mean, the Haaland deal has happened, uh, but that I think was a very particular case with release clause and an absolute certainty that he was going um, and was decided, you know, some time ago. Um, the, the the Liverpool one, the, the Darwin signing, um, is, you know, a case of them doing what they do, which is act fast and be very efficient and get the deal done. But it's informed in part by the fact that they're about to sell a player as well. Mm. I'm not sure that there's deals happening left, right and centre, though. Honestly, outside no. of those two, you know, massive signings, I, uh, I'm not seeing a great deal of business happening up and down mm. the league at this point. Yeah, Darwin arriving on the HMS Beagle straight into sure. Merseyside. Yeah. You know, um, S- some good headline opportunities <laughs> yeah. there. I think. Yeah, there are. I mean, look, uh, we had a question um, from from uh, Giant Gooner, um, who was on. Uh, he said uh, about a, a picture of Mikel Arteta. Have you seen the picture of Mikel Arteta on his holidays? Yeah, I have. It's kind of the successor, spiritual successor to uh, Arsene Wenger reclining on the beach. Yeah, he is. Um, uh, Giant Gunner uh, says, can we get a full Zapruder uh, film style breakdown of this picture and the events that lead up to it? And if you haven't seen it, it is Mikel Arteta on the beach with his sunglasses on with mm. very hairy legs, I have to say, which are not unexpected to me. What's interesting is that he's got extremely hairy legs, but not very hairy chest. So it's almost like he's wearing sort of furry trousers. <laughs> he looks like a fawn. <laughs> Mr. Tumnus. Yeah. Um I mean do you think do you think there's a bit of uh, waxing going on on the uh, on the torso side of things? Right? I think so. That to me doesn't look like a natural balance. Do you know what I mean? I agree because the legs are very hairy and the forearms are are pretty hairy and then there's this sort of slight hint of yeah. I don't know what you would call it, uh, chest stubble. Is that, I don't know what you'd call that. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a, a, a post-wax scenario there. Or he is a half-human, half-goat mythological creature. It would explain a lot if yeah. that were the case. Um, but But that's not all that's fascinating about this picture. No, he appears to be playing two different ball games now we're, we've got to zoom in on Mikel Arteta we don't know who else is there there's some people in the foreground but I think they're unrelated to him I think they're passers-by I think they've gathered to, to witness this spectacle absolutely so he's got uh, like a small football which he is in the process of kicking but in his right hand he holds a bat a kind of paddle style bat he's got one of those tiny little balls that people use they play on the beach i used to see this in spain all the time where people would stand in the shoreline with a bat Mm. each and they would just knock this kind of heavy plastic ball back and forward between each other and the object of the game is to just keep it going as long as possible there's no like it's collaborative rather than competitive exactly exactly and people play this on the beach in spain at all times Mm -hmm. i mean do you think it's possible He's got like one son doing keepy ups and the other son with bat and ball. Is he that much of a multitasker? It's sort of the only possible conclusion, I think. I mean, bat and ball in hand, football at feet. Yeah, this is a guy who's who's managing multiple children, surely. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there's no, 
no hint of frustration at the lack of transfers on his face. He's got his sunglasses on. He's yeah. He's in very, very good shape, Mikel Arteta. Barely breaking a sweat. I mean, he could he do He does not day. look like a man uh, stressed or irritated. That's fair to say. That is fair to say. Um, Contrary to report. <laughs> uh, I guess that's his goat DNA, though. You know, they get very um, they get very chilled out about things. You know, it's that's like, true, yeah. You know, if they get if they get freaked out, they just faint. That's what they, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's what's going on in that picture. Mikel Arteta on his holidays, playing ball games in the surf and fucking fair play to him. Who wouldn't? I'd love yeah. to do a bit of that, I have to Enjoy say. Enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy it while we wait for all these... Uh, all these transfers to happen. It has been a weekend of rumours, though. Um, yeah. Quite a lot of rumours that I guess we should go through while we're while we're on the subject of transfers. And you reported um, this weekend that Fulham are interested mm. in Burned Leno. Now, we had a, a, a money in, money out discussion on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I went back to check what you said about Burned Leno. And because uh, I lost the bit of paper that I wrote everything down on, as of always. course, you said six million, six million English pounds for Burned Leno Sterling, and I think that was based on the idea that maybe Burned Leno wouldn't find another club in England. Mm. I think we were thinking, you know, he might go back to Germany, maybe somewhere on the continent. Mm-hmm. Would Benfica you, were being mooted, weren't they, at the time? Were they, yeah. Now, do you feel like you want to revise that figure in the wake of Fulham's interest? Oh, I I want to, sure. But w- w- whether or not it will prove to be accurate, I'd like to think that we could squeeze more from a, a Premier League team, mm. certainly. And Fulham would be a really interesting destination. I think it's not... I don't think... Bernd Leno will be cock-a-hoop about Fulham because, you know, there's obviously a risk joining a newly promoted team um, and who knows what other business they're going to do this summer and what sort of position that will place them in for next season. But I know that he's very happy in England, very happy in London. So from that perspective, it would make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the Khans, they've got a few quid, haven't they, who, who own Fulham? So I'd like to think we could add a few million onto that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you not? I mean, they've been a bit yo yo Fulham in recent years. They've been up and down a bit. Yes. Yeah, and they've come back up in, in some style uh, this season. Um, it strikes me that that's the kind of summer in which you say, okay, we're going to have to make sure we don't do the yo-yo thing again. And if that means sort of spending a bit bigger or spending on players who maybe uh, might have been considered out of reach, if you like, then that would make some sense as a transfer strategy for Fulham. And, and, you know, I think as a goalkeeper, I guess there is a risk. You know, like you say, it's a newly promoted team. But, but it feels like a good fit if he wants to stay in London. It's... Uh, you know, they're going to be busy at the back, Fulham. And I think that kind of suits Burn Leno in a way. Yeah, I think that's true to an extent. I think it suits, I think it suits most goalkeepers in some respects. I mean, it's certainly an opportunity to showcase yourself. But mm. yeah, I, I think I do wonder if it might be a situation where he kind of wants to wait and see what else they do or what else they line up mm. for being the first, who wants to be the first to commit to, you know, a, yeah. a rebuild. 
uh, I wonder if he, you know, if there might be a sense in which he kind of stalls or sees what else comes in. But I think for Arsenal, the fact that there's Premier League interest is a good thing. I mean, obviously, in some respects, it's nicer when players go abroad because you can mm. sort of, you don't have to live with it if they do really well. And I, I think Ben Leno will do really well. I think he's a very good goalkeeper. Um, but... Yeah, I, I hopefully that that should mean that we can squeeze a bit more money because, as we said, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. The, the trouble Arsenal face in so many of these situations is they're selling to European clubs who are much more strapped for cash yeah. than their English counterparts, and I think we see that in something like the Lucas Torreira negotiation, for example. Sure. Sure, that doesn't appear to be going well. It doesn't appear to be so much as uh, of a negotiation as Fiorentina. I mean, that, that guy who owns Fiorentina does not like football agents. Mm. It's fair to say. He did a big interview. I think it was um, doing the rounds around the time that uh, we were interested in Dusan Vlavic. And did you see his quotes this morning, by the way? I saw, I saw briefly that yeah. he said, I wasn't really aware of Arsenal's interest or whatever it is. Um, Essentially, yeah. He basically said it was always Juventus. But I mean, I think we all knew that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but the owner of Fiorentina was quite strident about agents and their commissions and, um, you know, what he felt was perhaps... Um, over expectation on their part as to what they should get from a transfer, right? Mm -hmm. And I did see that part of the problem with the Torreira thing, I think it was on Sport Witness, they did a story that came from the Italian press that basically Torreira's agent and Fiorentina have fallen out uh, over, you know, his cut perhaps of what any deal uh, or what he would get from any deal. So I wonder if that is why the Fiorentina offer has become a lot lower mm. um, because, you know, maybe they have to facilitate something for Torreira's agent or whatever it might be. Could well be. I mean, the other thing for Fiorentina is sort of why would you, I mean, they've got a 15 million euro um mm buyout uh kind of fixed but i suppose if they feel that they're the front runners they're where Torreira wants to be they're sort of the primary club interested although you've agreed that i guess it makes sense to kind of um try and undercut it as far as you can because uh, if it goes nuclear and you think you're going to lose the player and mm. um you have to well, you have an agreed fee that's relatively reasonable, but if you can shave off a few million from a club who clearly are, you know, actively trying to sell the player and have been probably for at least two years at this point, um, then you're going to do it, aren't you? And, and I, I wonder if Arsenal are perceived maybe as a bit of a soft touch in that respect. Yes, I mean, I wouldn't blame Fiorentina either, given the fact that we have very kindly facilitated moves for players elsewhere, which have probably been, when it comes right down to it, more beneficial for the players and more beneficial for the, the clubs that they've gone to than they have been for Arsenal beyond us, you know, moving on a player that we want to move on. Mm. Um, so if Fiorentina were trying uh, or chancing their arm to try and drive down a deal, I wouldn't blame them at all. Uh, it is a complicated situation, though, because that's a if that is a perception, that's something we have to manage. And we've got to try and get rid of rather than continue that way. Because if it, you know, if that is the perception, then every club is going to do it. 
Yeah. I mean, the only thing that gives me comfort is that Torreira did very well at Fiorentina. And so I do think they're going to want to retain him. So mm. I will imagine that a, a compromise will be reached. I mean, for Arsenal to compromise on a price they've already agreed 12 months before will be mm. deeply frustrating. But I suspect that will be the outcome here because ultimately it's a move that all three parties will want to happen. Yeah. Um, and so if it costs a, a, a couple of million to make that the case, um, I, I don't think that will be prohibitive. But we shall see. I mean, it, yeah, this looks to me like a, a case of a club who, who know they've got the player and are now just trying to save money by... Um, negotiating essentially yeah mm. it is it is a complicated one and I, I wonder you know um if there are things like many transfers where we we're not fully aware of everything that's going on in the background or why um mm. they've decided that having a, agreed to a, a purchase fee they now want something much lower i mean if he'd had a terrible season there you might say okay then you can negotiate, but he's had a very good season. He was player of the sea or player of the month three times in four months um, in 2022. So, yeah, he's done well. He's done well. I, th I think that's it, and the, the price isn't unreasonable. That set seems pretty fair, but I guess what we don't know is, you know, the financial situation of the mm. club, and if there are other factors, like you say, to do with commission. You know, they may have to feel like they they may feel like they have to make a saving on the outlay to the club in order to pay the representative. Could be a host of reasons, but um, if I had to bet, I'd say I think this move will happen. I do sense I sort of see it mooted. Or could we bring Torreira back? Could we reintegrate him? I don't see that happening. I don't think there's any real chance of that. To no, be honest same, you. same. Uh, you know, it's, I don't think he's uh, like a disruptive guy or anything like that, but he just doesn't want to be in England. He never settled. And I think, you know, Italy suits him a, an awful lot better. Okay, on to another transfer rumour. Um, Jared Bowen from West yeah. Ham. I mean, this one... Where was that one? Where did that one it come came, from? It's from a podcast, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the guy, the Beautiful Game podcast. Yeah. They do those uh, really good interviews. They did one with Eddie and Kedia recently. They'd one with Per Mertesacker last season as well, which was very good. I know they've had a couple of other Arsenal players on. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think they're sort of in the um, – how will I put this? Like, I don't think they're – sort of positioning themselves as transfer ITKs or anything like that. You no, know, I, don't I don't think, think they've that's... got a previous of kind of no. uh, making stuff up or, you know, just looking to generate attention through transfer yeah. rumours. I don't think so, no. No, I don't think so. So it's it's quite an interesting an interesting link, although I, I, the wording was, I think, Arsenal are talking to representatives of Jared Bowen, mm. which, again, is, is quite specific language it's not that Arsenal are talking to West Ham about Jared Bowen do they have they had permission from West Ham is this just the usual sort of back channel agent to agent you know recruitment uh committee to agent sort of stuff that goes on all the time I don't really know but here's a guy who scored what 18 goals last season something like 13 14 assists in all competitions too plays on the right wing is under contract at West Ham till 2025 and is English. I mean, that strikes me as prohibitively expensive for all those reasons. Yeah. I have to say, I think Jared Bowen is a, a really good player. Um, I agree. Yeah, he's good. And 
he made his England debut, I think, during this sort of international period. And I watched the Italy game the other day. I thought when he came on, he was one of the livelier things on the pitch. Um, yeah, I, I really rate him. I think he's excellent. But I am a little dubious about this. I mean, I sort of have to mention the Rafinha rumour as well at this point. Yes. Uh, um, and I've got a question based around that, so we can we can work that one in now in a sec. Yeah, so, well, what was the question? Because it may be that I'm about to answer it. Let's see. Um, okay, well, the question was from Garza on the Discord. He said, true or false? Rafinha is coming because Saka is the left eight we've been looking for all along. Well, that, <laughs> I, I think what I was going to say is that I'm a, I'm a little bit... I don't doubt that Arsenal rate or are monitoring players like Rafinha and Jared Bowen. Um, in the case of Rafinha, I know that to be true. I mean, he's someone, you know, that I think a lot of clubs are really looking at because he's very, very talented. Mm. Um, I am a little bit sceptical about whether or not Arsenal would pay what it would require to sign either of those players in a position where Bukayo Saka is currently the first choice. Mm. And I suppose what I would answer it to that question is, I think my instinct would be to say false. I think that Saka as a kind of left A is interesting, but I would be very shocked if Arsenal were team building based on that premise, having tried it so little. Um, so I would be surprised if Arsenal spent that kind of money on a right-sided, mm. a left-footed right-sided attacker who, who a lot of those minutes would be going to Saka. What, what do you think? Um, I, like you, I'd be surprised if that was the plan. Um, but it was, you know, it is interesting. We had a discussion on the Arscast on Friday, myself and uh, Tim Stillman, Phil Costa, about you know, what we need to do beyond, once we get beyond the midfielder and the striker yeah. signings, and there was a consensus among us that another wide forward was absolutely necessary this summer because we can't expect Bukayo Saka to carry that burden, um, you know, all season long. We need some backup for him. We need some competition for him. You know, we need to be able to use him um in a different way. But I think both of those guys, you know, Bowen and Rafinha would be so expensive that their transfer fees in themselves suggest that they would need to be a first team player, first team regular in, in order to get value. Right. Mm. So my, my thinking on both those rumors is that they're more than likely just rumors even if Arsenal would say, yeah, they're good players and we like them, I think, I don't think we can spend that much money for a position where we already have one of the best players in the team and potentially one of the best players in the Premier League uh, if we if he continues his development. Yeah. So I, I don't know quite how you manage that situation, but I would be really surprised if there was anything substantial or substantive to um, those stories. Yeah, that, that's kind of my interpretation. And, you know, you talk about another wide attacker. I think Arsenal definitely could do with that. I do wonder how contingent it will be on being able to move 
Pepeon, um, which I don't think we can take as a, a given. I don't think it's really? certain that some. Well, who would you buy Pepe? Well, it depends who I was. Who am I? Uh, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I guess if you, I don't know who you are, but what I'm saying is, I, I'm guilty of this. I'm going. Yeah. Well, we'll just sell Pepe. But sometimes it's not that easy, right? No, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, there's n- his stock has fallen to uh, to coin a phrase. Um, yeah. you know, it really has. There's no two ways about that. I mean, I, I, I take your point as well. I, I probably would buy Pepe if I was kind of a, a rung below Arsenal's aspirations on the ladder and wanted to in a position where I could take a gamble. You know, mm. if I was a Sevilla style club where. You know, sometimes you can take a bit of a pun and I could get a good deal where I wasn't covering all of his salary or it was a knockdown fee. Mm. Um, you know, the kind of stuff Arsenal do um, for clubs. Then I guess <laughs> I, I guess I would. But I think if he is still in the squad come the end of the transfer window, then I'm not convinced they will buy a wide attacker just because I think they'll be surplus at that point. But, yeah, you know, then it is such a weird situation because what happens... I mean, we saw very clearly this season um, actions speak louder than words and all that, right? So mm. we saw what happened with Pepe. He didn't play. When he did play, he, like, had the occasional flash of something good but mostly was not very good. And that could be in part to the fact that he doesn't play very much. And the reason he doesn't play very much is because Mikel Arteta doesn't necessarily trust him to do what he wants a player in that position to do. Therefore, he's not going to play very much. So it's a vicious circle, isn't it? It Mm. really is. It's not like, you know, the only way Pepe plays regularly is if Saka's not there, if he's injured or if he's, you know, know, that's the only way that he would have any consistent run in the team. So I think it's in everybody's interests that he goes for his, for the club's, um, but like you say, it's about making that happen and how we can make that happen. There was a question on the, the Discord from Chief Wen Care, uh, who says, uh, I've read that a couple of clubs might be willing to take Pepe, one of them being Lille. If Lille want Pepe back, could we just ask them to write off whatever is outstanding on his transfer fee installments instead of receiving actual money? Because... Um, you know, there's still two years of payments, if you like, yeah. left on the on the Nicolas Pepe uh, transfer. Yeah, I, I don't know the accounting in detail, but that seems eminently plausible. Um, I seem to remember from the time it was reported in France that Arsenal would be paying something like £10 million a year over the duration of his contract. So a couple of years of that would probably equate to sort of the kind of fee we would expect from another European club. Mm. Um so there may be creative solutions. Uh, he's also got two years left at this point, so I don't think it's unimaginable that Arsenal would agree to loan him somewhere um, with a view to a permanent sale down the line. Fiorentina, they'll offer us Yeah, exactly. They'll million. agree a price now and then mm-hmm. come back looking for 50% off. I, listen, I, all the signs point to him going. Don't get me wrong. He's got a new agent. He did the goodbye, goodbye on the final day. Yeah. Um, w- would that suggest that that maybe he knows there's something out there? That maybe uh, there's something going on in the background that we don't know. It's not a case of, well, he's said, well, I'm leaving. And Arsenal said, well, yes, you can go. But, you know, maybe he maybe he's aware 
Maybe. The, the agent change came quite late in the season, though. I mean, not too long ago. Um, so, you know, it, it's, again, but you could kind of be acting for somebody informally before you've actually agreed to sign a contract. Who knows? I don't know for sure on that. Um, it's it's possible. But I, I do think that it's kind of a one-in-one-out on the wide attackers. And I also think that the players... I really like Bowen and I really like uh, Rafinha, but I don't think that Arsenal will buy a player of that price bracket who isn't a sort of guaranteed starter. Yeah. Um, and, and as good as Saka is potentially in other positions, like I think he could be really interesting on the left wing. I think he could be interesting as a kind of left-sided central midfield player, as the as the question proposed. I do think that we shouldn't, um, what's the right phrase? Like we shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouse. Like he, he in the mouse, he's very good on the right. <laughs> he's incredibly productive. Um, he's one of our best players in that position. Mm. I don't think we should take for granted that. And, and also what a big role switching to that position has played in his development. I do think that's where he's seen going forward. Right. No, I, I like, I really do think there is something potentially there with the Saka left eight. Yeah. I think he's good enough. Absolutely. But again, yeah. I mean, if he, if you did put him there, then you could bring in a Rafinha or a Bowen to play on that right-hand side. But uh, I don't think it's the plan. I don't think it's the plan. Um, I think we would have seen more of it if it was the plan. But mm. I may be, you know, I may be wrong. What else is going on? Uh, Bayer Leverkusen interested in Granit Xhaka. I saw a tweet there not long before we started recording um, where basically they're, um, what is it, Bayer Leverkusen preparing a a loan offer for Granit Xhaka, which I think pretty much um, nixes, nixes that one. Ainsley Maitland-Niles to Nottingham Forest? Sounds eminently plausible. Jed Spence, it looks like. Uh, could be going to Tottenham. I've heard quite a lot about. Well, he's a Middlesbrough player anyway, so his loan. He is, is a Middlesbrough player, but Forrest were, I think, trying to bring him in permanently. Um, Arsenal never really made any efforts to sign that player, despite a lot of links in the press. Mm. Um, but it looks like he'll go to Tottenham to play wing back. Well, which seems quite a good fit. And yeah, Maitland Niles. Mm. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Seems like the right kind of move, doesn't it? Yeah, like to go and play as a right wing back in their system feels like a good fit. Steve Cooper is the manager there who, you know, worked in a lot of the England underage teams and may have come across Maitland-Niles in that period. Certainly would have known the player from being part of the international setup through his teens. Uh, very good coach. I think it'd be great for him, to be honest, Forrest. And I think... Again, hopefully, be quite good for us because Premier League club generally is preferable when you're selling a player. Yeah, again, he's English. He's got a year left on his contract, and you know it could generate a you know a few quid. And that's what we talked about when we did our money in, money out. It's not so much that we're going to get big, big fees for the players. It's the accumulation of all the deals that we've yeah. got to do. It all adds up. Is going to be kind of the motto for for Arsenal's selling strategy this summer, I suspect. Yeah. Um, what else? Nuno Tavares linked with At Atalanta. Yeah, I saw a couple of things about Nuno Tavares. I mean, I don't know if a decision's been made on him. I know that they were talking about potentially sending him out on loan. 
Um, like you said, I think on your blog today, I, I'd be inclined to keep him around till January. I just think those mm. Europa League games will have a value for him and we will uh, benefit from kind of learning more about him in that period. And then come January, you can make a different call if you need to. Yeah, yeah. And I know people have been talking about um, the Scottish lad from Bologna, Aaron Hickey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that only makes sense if Tavares goes. Correct, yeah. And at this stage, you know, Arsenal haven't bid for Aaron Hickey yet. Um, so I think sort of the intensity of that interest has been a bit sort of exaggerated in some reports. Again, you know, a player who they like. He's really talented, good prospect. Mm. But there seems to be a lot of talk about him going to Brentford. Um, yeah. And I think that could happen, which, uh, yeah, would obviously put paid to that. So the only, to be honest, I find it more plausible that in some respects that Nuno, well, scratch that, it's not more plausible. But I, I think that the reason he could go this summer is if, you know, Arteta is absolutely mind made up, seen enough at this point. I'd be a bit surprised by that, but it wouldn't blow my mind if it was the case that he was like, to be honest, he's not for me. Um, me either. Me either. Yeah. And actually, we had a we had a question uh, on the Discord about this. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, Hot Rod four four ninety said, "Hope you and James are enjoying the early summer and getting some good weather." Well. Not yet. I think you're you're going you're going to have a bit of a heat wave over there this week. And we're yeah, we waiting. are. It's very hot. End of this week. We're waiting. We're still waiting here. He said, "I want to know why you guys are so ready to write off Nuno. For me, his season and Sambi's aren't too dissimilar from Gabrielle's first season. Pretty good uh, fall, I guess. Autumn, as we might say, followed by a subpar winter and spring. And like I think we did say on our whether it was last week or the week before that we." would both have kept uh, Nuno or would keep Nuno until January to do the Europa League games and get the cup games in and, and maybe to assess more what we have because, you know, he talked about losing confidence and, and all that kind of stuff, which is which is fine. But it is really about what way he is viewed by Mikel Arteta and the coaching staff more mm-hmm. than what any of us would think. And, you know, as I said, my gut feeling is... Is I've got some some real doubts, but um, it will be interesting to see what happens here because if they keep him, you know, he is the backup then to Kieran Tierney. And as we know, Kieran Tierney isn't as durable as we might like him to be. And that no. means that if and when he is absent, we have decided that Nuno is the guy to, to take his place. So... What happens this summer, I think, will be very informative, not just for the first half of the season, but maybe how Mikel Arteta views Nuno, his good bits, his bad bits, and how easy it might be, or or otherwise, to sort of coach those bad bits out of him. Yeah. And at the risk of being defensive, I don't think we have been particularly quick to write him off. I, I mean, my sort of perspective on him is that I feel like I need to see a bit more to know, uh, to kind of see what wins out mm. with Nuno. Is it the exciting moments or is it the scary ones? Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly think the Europa League provides the right kind of platform in order to do that. Uh, so I think I would keep him around until January and, and then see what we think of this guy. Because he does have some really eye-catching 
qualities, but he's a defender first and foremost. And what you're looking for from those guys is sort of stability. And I'm not sure mm. he has yet provided a great deal of that. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a fascinating player though. I'm sure we'll talk about him, uh, you know, f- semi-regularly for as long as he's at Arsenal because he's a real cocktail of different qualities. That is true. Um, what else is going on this weekend? Any other rumours that we've seen doing the rounds? No, Pablo Marie, AC Milan. What was that one? Pablo Marie, AC Milan. Yeah. I saw that. Oh. I mean, like from... Sounds good. Would be good for him. For him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to say on Rafinha, but, uh, it's, there's basically a fixed price as far as I understand it. I forgot to say this, but I think it's 55 million that leads one. And um, the player's agent is Deco, the former Barcelona ah. Chelsea midfield player. Okay. Uh, he, I believe, had effectively an agreement with Barcelona, but there's the old problem of Barcelona. Being broke. Let's, we say, let's say um, <laughs> allocating resource, despite seemingly not having any. Um, you know, they've got to come up with 55 million quid to appease Leeds, and they have failed to do that thus far. And I think Leeds are growing a little frustrated with that. So I think there will be opportunities for mm. other buyers. And I think there are other clubs interested. Just to come back to what I said before, though, I, I would be surprised if Arsenal invested in a player in that position at that level. Um, yeah, I'd like it. Don't get me wrong. I I, I think Rafinha is really good, um, but I'm not sure I quite see it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's... It's not a position where we have a huge need for that level of investment, but we do have a need for some level of investment, as we've spoken about yep. with regards Saka. Um, yeah. Were there any other rumours about? I'm just trying to think now. Not really. I mean, I think I think we've covered it off for the most part. Here's a question. Go on. Um, because a player that we have been linked with, not necessarily very strongly, but... Uh, he has been mentioned in dispatches when it comes to Arsenal. And Timorous Me on the Discord says, Hi, gents. With rumours of Tottenham bringing in Richarlison as basically very expensive cover, do you think there's an arms race developing for fourth place and we need to make a comparable move for someone like Rafinha, someone who wouldn't have been, who wouldn't have an obvious starting spot, but who would seriously increase our attacking depth? I think is an interesting question. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a quite a compelling argument. Um, I think Richarlison Spurs is early days, and Everton are in a position where they need to sell one or if not both of their star forwards, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um, so, I think we'll see them linked to a number of different clubs. Um, Arsenal's interest in Calvert-Lewin appears to have faded somewhat over the course of the season. Is that because he's been injured and he hasn't really been performing? I mean, surely our interest in him predates, you know, the injury. So we we know what he's capable of. Or is it that maybe things have changed from our perspective in, in, in relation to what it is 
that we're looking for. Like there was another question, uh, again, on the Discord, Singapore Gunner says, uh, does the seemingly different profiles of Vlavic and Gabriel Jesus concern you at all? One is tall and a target man type. The other is a pressing forward that runs the channels. If Mikel Arteta and co. have a clear idea of what they of how they want their attack to look, shouldn't the forward they target be consistent in terms of profile? And obviously Calvert-Lewin, you might say, is a bit more analogous to Vlavic in that he gives you that aerial presence, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he's a fine athlete as well. He's, he can run. There's no two ways about that. But um, is, is that perhaps an explanation as to why our interest in Calvert-Lewin has diminished? Mm, possibly. I think it is mainly his own personal circumstances in terms of his injuries and lack of form. I think if he had a really good season, the one before last, and I think if he'd replicated that, then I think Arsenal would probably still be intensively on his case. Um, but I do, th- I, I find that question about different profiles of centre forward very interesting. Like, uh, I'm a bit confused now because I'm sort of answering three questions at the same time. <laughs> yes, but, right. Juggle, um, juggle, juggle, juggle. Should we should, the first one? Should we be targeting players of similar caliber to our starting players to provide us with more depth? The answer to that is yes. The caveat being, uh, not if it well, not if we can't afford it. Essentially, right. Um, so we may have to be smart about the way we do that. We may have to identify players earlier in their career or before they've made a move to the Premier League in order to secure them at the right price. Um, the centre-forward question is a really interesting one because I think it's sort of about a trade-off, isn't it? I mean, presumably there is kind of a profile or or certain key attributes that Arteta is looking for and maybe they don't all exist in the same player. And because, you know, another player we've been linked with who I watched at the weekend is... uh, Scamaca, who plays uh, for Sassuolo mm. and Italy. And he's very different physically from Gabriel Jesus um, and stylistically. And you kind of find yourself looking at it and thinking, well, how can they be on the same list? But then isn't one of the components of the list kind of talent and goal-scoring ability? And, uh, you know, I guess... Most of these guys are ticking three of the five boxes, but it's just which three, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, the list of quality centre-forwards in Europe isn't that long. So you're kind of looking at those guys on a Venn diagram and thinking like, right, who's sort of close to the middle? And I think the reason that Jesus is the number one target, um, one of the reasons is that I think they feel he ticks the vast majority of those boxes, even if he isn't the kind of physical mm. specimen that some people expect. I mean, I find that sort of debate about do does Arsenal's centre-forward need to be tall really interesting. I know you did that on the Arscast yeah. on Friday. But... Um, I, I think it's fascinating, to be honest, because, yeah. you know, there was obvious interest in Vlahovic, and this time last year, when we were talking about strikers, um, Alexander Isaac was a name that uh, was mm-hmm. was thrown around. Tammy Abraham. Tammy Abraham. You know, so this these are clearly qualities, if, you know, maybe they're not, um, how do I put this? Uh, 
deal breakers or whatever, but they were pretty high on the on the the list. So Tammy Abraham, Vlavic, Alexander Isaac, tall, mobile, physical strikers. Mm-hmm. And now Gabriel Jesus is something different, um, which isn't to say it's worse, but there has been perhaps a little bit of a shift. And we've seen, um, you know, Man City and Liverpool now bring in a couple of forwards who give them a bit more physical presence and everything else. So I really think it's a a, a very interesting, a very interesting um, subject to consider because I, I, I do think there is a lack of variety. Um, like, I don't think Gabriel Jesus and Eddie Nketiah are the same player or the same kind of player. No, I do think that's a simplification. It is a simplification. I completely uh, get that. But I think there's there's also a, a lack of variety in terms of what you can do with those two players, if you know what I mean, if you want to change a game. How, uh, I think Phil made the point on, on Friday, like if, if Gabriel Jesus is getting no change out of a, a, a defense, is, is Eddie really going to have that much more joy? Because he's going to come on and maybe play in tandem with Gabriel Jesus. Maybe that's the way that you do it. Maybe you play with your two strikers, but it doesn't give you a different kind of option. Um, no, again, no though- I, I couldn't say in earnest that I know either player well enough to accurately tell you how similar or different they are. Um, but it, it, yeah, it is. I mean, listen, if it was up to me, I'd love us to sign two centre forwards, you know, and one to be more of a conventional mm. target man. Um, but I don't get this sense that's going to happen, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think having retained Eddie, I think it will be one striker. And, you know, Skamaka is someone who, like Calvert-Lewin, has been on the list. And, and more recently, it seemed um, to be of greater interest to the club. But in the last couple of weeks they've stepped back a little bit on that and it looks like other clubs are now leading that chase, particularly PSG. So it does feel like the eggs are very much in the Gabriel Jesus basket. Um, and yeah, that that is interesting. I, 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 I think there's two things with the tall thing. I think there's sort of, I think sometimes I hear people say we need a tall striker because Tierney and Cedric like crossing it a lot. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't think height is the crucial determining factor in if players score headers. Like, if I look at Liverpool, the headers that Jota and Mane get, there's nothing to do with their height and they score a ton of headers. Yeah. Um, I think Eddie Nketiah is substantially shorter than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang but over the course of a season, we'll probably score more headers, right? It's a sort of stylistic, strategic ability. Mm. Where the height thing, I think, does come into play more is the way and the areas in which it allows you to play. So something Arteta talked about, I think he spoke about it after the Newcastle defeat, in terms of how Arsenal sort of handle pressure and difficult games spoke about you know needing to know when and how to play in the right areas to get the ball up the field quickly and I do think it's in that aspect where kind of physicality and power of a centre mm. forward and height have maybe the most value and that's the reason I would like Arsenal to bring in a striker of that style um 
the outlet. Yeah, I just think someone who gives you variety and but but I don't foresee it at the present time, unfortunately, mm. from my perspective. Um But yeah, and and to be honest, like although you know, some names like Calvert Lewin are sort of cast aside, I think if you consider him you know, if I offer you Gabriel Jesus and Calvert Lewin then I think that's quite attractive, personally. If yeah. you're not saying he's the guy, but he's a guy to bring variety, I think there is some value in that. Um, mm. But I'm not sure that's within Arsenal's yeah. plans or budget. Well, I mean, we'll, ha- we'll have to wait and see. Transfer windows yeah. just open, of course. Uh, no stress. What, what's no interesting pressure. as well, just about the striker thing, is obviously, you know, Darwin Nunes is going for a fee that could total about 100 million mm. euros, is it? Yeah. Um, and I think I saw on Twitter some discussion of like, well, does that set the bar for strikers this summer? You know, has that created a precedent? And I think there is an extent to which that is true, but Arsenal are fortuitous in some respects, or not fortuitous, um, perhaps it's quite deliberate, that their primary target, Gabriel Jesus, has uh, pretty much a fixed price. I mean, it's a price that some consider high, but it's probably about half of what Liverpool are about to pay for Darwin Nunes. Mm. Um, and in the striker, inflated striker market, Arsenal may consider that quite a healthy situation. You know, if they can sign a striker for 50 million in a summer where the going rate for strikers is close to 100, then uh, they may consider that a success. What worries me is that if Arsenal don't get Gabriel Jesus, and there is interest from other clubs, including Chelsea, then are you in a position where you're looking at a hugely inflated market for a number of players who weren't your first choice? Or you you bring somebody in that's more commensurate with the budget that you had for that position in the first place. Yeah. That's the other thing. I mean, it will... I know people will be listening to this going, well, if that's the case... Why haven't Arsenal just, you know, coughed up the cash, got it done and everything else, you know, uncomplicate your life by getting it done as quickly as possible while Mikel Arteta is playing paddle Mm. on the beach and Edu is, who knows where Edu is, but I guarantee you he's got a tongs in his hand and there's a smell of charcoal. And who can blame him, guys? There's a heat wave in London. Um, You know? but, But the answer to that question is quite simple, I think, which is that paying Man City is the easy bit. Um, mm. convincing the player to commit to the move at this point in the summer is the difficult bit because yeah, any sensible player in Gabriel's position is probably thinking, well, Arsenal's a good move, but let's, if a couple of dominoes fall... Let's see what else is out there, yeah. And unfortunately, when you don't qualify for the Champions League, you are vulnerable mm. you know if a champions league club comes along mm. that you know that, that makes it a difficult decision for a player um and i think that what's happening with jesus yes he's on international duty but presumably he's just waiting to see how the dominoes fall and the extent of his options before committing to a decision and um i think once he does arsenal pretty much know what man city want and I'm sure they'll try and pay less, but ultimately it's probably going to end up 
you know, roughly, roughly at the mark that City expect. Um, mm. Especially if uh, you know there's competition. So, yeah, I, I think paying City is the easy bit. The difficult bit is getting the commitment of the player. Once you've got that, then we're in a position to talk. Um, mm. Well, that might bring they, us. Yeah, go on. Sorry, I was going to say maybe Arsenal. You know, I, I think maybe if they when they felt like top four was in their grasp, they probably felt extremely confident about that. It goes and suddenly, as I said, it's a little bit more vulnerable. Okay, well, that might lead us to a question uh, to kick off the next part of the show because I think we need to take a break here. Okay. Um, uh, you know, gather our thoughts, calm ourselves down, you know, transfer mayhem, gets people worked up. Uh, grab yourselves a cup or whatever it is. We'll be back with more in part two right after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. And from there, we've got a question which I think is an interesting question. It comes from Lombardo. And I know this is, this is, a, this is quite a complex question. Mm. Um, but it's still an interesting one. He said, could James break down the steps involved in a transfer happening? Uh, why do some transfers take weeks when some are seemingly put together in hours? And what is always the biggest stumbling block in the move? I know those are, are um, yeah, it's, it's hard to be, as you said, um, all fair. It's hard to be entirely succinct with all this. Uh, but nevertheless, it is quite interesting to consider the the machinations of a transfer. So uh, do yeah. your best. I'll do my best. I mean, the boring answer is that every deal is different and uh, there are all sorts of different parameters for every negotiation. The one thing I would say is that the rules are sort of obsolete practically. 
in terms of how this actually works. And I, I appreciate most people will probably be aware of this anyway, but club to club contact is often quite late in the process. Yeah. And actually what's really interesting as a reporter is that that's now present in reporting. So you will see journalists or I have even written at times, oh, you know, such and such a club has held talks with the representative of such a player. Or Charles Watts will say the agent of, you know, Yuri Tielemans was at mm. London Colney in December, whatever it might be. Was and, he? Was he? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I hope I've not spoken out of turn. But um, the what's interesting about that is, ostensibly you're alluding to rule breaks. At, in most instances, I mean, you might not specifically be saying it, but tapping up, uh, tapping up, like, yeah, used to be known, yeah. But that is now just the nature of the industry. So you start with the player. Practically, no club will ever own up to this, and players, if they make reference to it in interviews after they've joined, have their knuckles wrapped. You know, if they say. Yeah, the manager was calling me every week. Like, that's not good. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and the communication department will tell you to keep it stum. But it is an accepted truth that that's how it works. So you're starting with a player. If Arsenal are working on a transfer, the first call is Edu to the player's agent. I think we can say that with mm. some confidence. Um, and it's not unusual for a manager to... Uh, if he's particularly convinced about a player, speak to a player, you know, again, almost before there's club-to-club -club contact. That is against the rules, but that is how this industry functions. And this can take place over a period of, you know, weeks or months. And, and none of this will be in writing, really. It will be kind of verbal discussions about expected salaries, one thing that's fascinating is a lot of the time agents don't know what the club will sell for. So in a position where a club doesn't want to sell a player, you know, if they're not, if they've not been told, yeah, you can go as long as you find 15 million quid. A lot of the time the agent will be negotiating with the buying club, but they might not be able to tell you what the selling club will accept. That's so it's, weird, isn't it? Yeah. So like you could, you could arrive at a point where you feel you have an agreement with a player but you're impossible to really, it's impossible to cost the total value of the move because you don't know what it will ultimately take to get the deal over the line in terms of a transfer fee. Um, and that's how all player costs are discussed now in terms of fee plus salary over the duration of the contract. So, you know, what is this player going to cost us per year, essentially? And does their position within the squad tally or equate with mm. what that cost is um which is why someone like eddie and ketia for example becomes like a very economically attractive option even on quite a high wage um and then why does what's the process from then on i mean ultimately it's not unusual usually you this is i don't want to just generalize too much but in most cases you wouldn't proceed to make a direct offer to the club unless you felt you had a tacit agreement with the player. So going back to Gabriel Jesus, if Arsenal make a substantial offer or a firm offer for him to Manchester mm. City, it is on the understanding that 
all going well, the player yeah. is open to joining the club should the two clubs agree a fee. Exactly. And, you know, although we see language of fee agreed player subject to personal terms, mm. again, without wishing to tell tales outside of school, nine times out of ten, those personal terms are broadly agreed. There may be contractual nuances relating to image rights or bonuses or yeah. you know little things here and there. But at the point that a club makes a bid for a player, they usually know what the total they, – they can project what the total cost will be. Um, so why do some deals take longer? Well, again, that's really fascinating because deals are negotiated in different ways. So some clubs uh, – this will take place over phone calls, in emails. Some clubs will have face-to-face meetings. So a club might fly in or travel in to meet either at a training ground or a neutral negotiation and spend, you know, two to three hours mm. talking about a deal with an attempt to move it forward. Um, it, people have different ways of working. But I think in general... It's, it's about the will of the player more often than not. If a player has clarity on what they want, then everything becomes quite efficient. It's really interesting because it, things change a lot between kind of April and about where we are now. Because usually a player and an agent around April will have some inkling of what next season holds for them. And they might be like, yeah, I think I'm going to stay or I think I'm going to move. And I've heard there's an expression of interest from this club and we've had a few talks with this club. Yeah. But there's always a sense, I think, after the season ends where there's kind of slight wildcard effect and dominoes do start to fall and other runners and riders come into the, come into the game and uh, things change. And, you know, Jesus is in a position, to use one example, where his situation is quite fluid. You know, he's got Arsenal interested and they're very hot in the case, but there are probably others, well, there are certainly others, who are keeping contact with the player and letting them know that if things develop in a certain direction, they would be keen to take him. And as a player, I think it's natural, especially at this early point in the summer, to kind of want to let that play out. You might feel like, I want to know what I'm doing by the start of pre-season, but that's still a month away, you know? Um, So, yeah, I, I hope that, I mean, does that give some flavor of how it works? Sure. I mean, I, I've seen it before, you know, that that a lot of stuff is done via WhatsApp these days. That's true. You know, yeah. between clubs and agents and representatives and players. And, you know, I wonder as well, like, if, um, you know, if you've got a situation, as we talked about in the first half of the, the show, the Nicolas Pepe situation, which is, it's clear that it's best for the player for him to go it's mm-hmm. clear that it's best for arsenal for him to go but it remains complicated because of the huge outlay on him and how much we get back and how much we still owe like i mean we could get a transfer fee for nicolas pepe that's less than what we still owe Lille. you know not impossible it's not impossible so we could uh you know on people will say well we brought in let's say 20 million for Nicolas Pepe, but we still owe Lille 25, Gosh, you know, yeah. that's <laughs> Which, a cheerful thought, but yeah, yeah, it is. But I mean, that's, that's the reality of the situation, but uh, you know, is that the kind of scenario where if there were a 
an interested club that it's in the best interests of Arsenal for Edu or, you know, Edu and whoever is working with Edu to, to, to have those discussions in person. Whereas I think, you know, some deals which are probably a bit more cut and dried, like let's say uh, Maitland-Niles to Nottingham Forest, if the communication is relatively cursory, players interested, the fee's decent, we say, okay, you don't need to sit down and have a face-to-face, you know, mm. ma- uh, mano a mano or anything like that. You don't have to do any of that. But when the deal is a bit more complicated or a bit more precarious or you need to you need to deal with it, um, you know, in a more serious way, that's probably where it needs to happen um, in person, right? Yeah, and I think in situations like that, I think there's a lot more you know, when a player is effectively for sale, I think there is more transparency between the club and the player about, look, you can go, feel free to find a buyer. This is what we're looking for. And in that situation, the agent, I think, will be uh, licensed to, well, they'll have a lot more knowledge about what's going to make that deal happen. Um, So those deals are easier to do. And I think, to a certain extent, Jesus is probably in that bracket. You know, even if Man City have put what sounds like an inflated price, fifty million or whatever it might be, on him, I think at least everyone's aware of that. Um, so there is a kind of ticket attached to him. Mm. Whereas, uh, you know, if somebody wanted to buy Bukayo Saka, just to you know give you a, a notional example, there's probably no figure there because nobody knows, right? Yeah, um, and it's not something Arsenal would want to communicate. So. Yeah, that that's a big part of it. WhatsApp is a big part of it. I mean, you know, player contracts are pages and pages long, but at this stage, it will be something like a five-line message saying, you know, X basic, X bonus, X years. We're, we're, they're working in shorthand at the yeah. present time on these agreements. Um, I, I mean, are the contracts relatively standardised? Is there such yeah. a thing as a standard player contract? But obviously... You know your your variables are there in terms of basic the duration of the contract, what their bonuses are for, like you know win bonus. Yeah. Aaron Ramsdale, for example, is not going to have a goal bonus, whereas you know Eddie Nketi has probably got a goal bonus in his. Those yeah. sort of things. But are there other aspects to it that maybe we don't know about? Are image rights part of it? Are there are there certain things that certain players want in their contracts that others don't? You know, are there wild cards that go in there at all? So Arsenal, as far as I understand it, have now stopped offering image rights within contracts. Um, I think uh, that's like a policy now. Uh, I may be wrong, but as far as I'm aware, they don't pay image rights right. um, anymore. They did for a long time, and it was a way of kind of adding additional money onto salaries. Um but I think they've ceased doing that. There is a degree of standardization. So, for example, things like bonuses based on where you finish or what you win, that's yeah. all standardized. There are certain things like squad player might have a contract where, depending on the amount of games they play, their basic salary increases. So, you know, if you play five games, you'll learn. Uh, 20 grand, grand a week this season. But mm. if you play 10, it'll be 25, something like that. So mm. there's a sort of commensurate reward based on your inv- actual involvement and selection. Um, but yeah, these things are fairly standardised and relatively swift to draw up. All that bit, 
happens quite quickly. It is the the game of the negotiation that takes so long. And it's not unusual either for you to feel you have an agreement with a player, approach the club, do the deal with the club, come back to the player to find that the agent has increased his demands by, you know, such and such a percent or whatever yes. it might be. I think we've, um, we've been down that road more than once as a football yeah, club. And yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that that's fairly, unfortunately, you know, fairly common practice or, you know, Oh, we forgot to mention this or that. Um, and also when you're talking about paying a club, again, people will be familiar with this from computer games, but, it is uh, very exceptional that a fee is just a fee. You know, the amount of kind of clauses and payment terms and durations and all those things that, again, are conditioned by those clubs need. So if the selling club is in a position where they particularly need cash in order to ease cash flow problems or facilitate other business that will determine how much of the deal they want up front i mean and, and that that aspect of the negotiation can go on for weeks i mean you can agree with a selling club that a player's worth you know 15 million but how you pay that 15 million can be a huge bone of contention that mm. can drag and drag and drag um and actually one thing i would say is that sometimes as fans, when a deal drags, we get worried. But sometimes you allow a deal to drag because you know you've got the player. Like if you are really confident that Ben White is signing for you, everything is on, you know, everything is all but in writing agreed. You know the salary, he wants to come. There's not another club interested of any particular note. Then you can spend six weeks trying to get Brighton to come down from 50 million quid. <laughs> trying and failing. <laughs> yeah, trying and failing. But do you know what I mean? Like on the outside, we might yeah. look at that and going, why is this stalling? But the reality is it's stalling because the club doesn't feel pressure because they know they've got the player. Yeah. Um, of course, like in any transaction, there's the risk of being gazumped, like when you're buying a house or, or anything. But that confidence is sometimes what can allow you to take longer on the deal i know that's frustrating as a fan mm. but, but you know it's not if something takes a long time it's not always an indication of a problem it's just the club uh what's the word i guess kind of trying to use a strong position in negotiations um it is a bizarre business though and it is worth saying that all deals are different and you can have a deal like Matt Ryan, which start to finish takes a matter of days, you know? Um, the Yeah, the the sort of six-hour natural Monreal conversation. Yeah, you know, it can, it can be that simple. Um, but I would say, I'd say in general, they're the exception that proves the rule. Mm. I think these things do take longer. And, and also, like, I'm not sure the club... I mean, listen, the club, the club want to get business done and they want to do it quickly. And, you know, there are people who that is their job and they will be judged on the success of that. Um, you know, last summer they had so much business to do. They were really, I think it's fair to say, they were desperate to get one or two in the bag early doors because they knew mm. the, the scale of work in front of them. I think they might be a little bit more relaxed this summer in terms of, maybe having a clearer sense of what their absolute priorities are and 
feeling like the work they're doing on the squad is slightly more bespoke than a complete overhaul. Mm. Um, but listen, uh, yeah, it, it, I think the next few weeks, I'd be surprised if there weren't some substantial developments, you know, uh, sort of between now and the first week of July. I'm not saying deals will happen, but I think we'll have a much clearer idea of if and when they might. All right. Well, that's uh, pretty comprehensive. Um, and look, the, the the last part of the question was what the most what's the most common reason why deals break down? And look, there are just myriad reasons as to why that might happen. Um, yeah, I think honestly, um, I think what people forget about football is that so much of it is personal. Like so much of it is about your conversations with an agent or a technical director or a chief executive. And uh, honestly, when deals break down, it's usually because somebody's very difficult to work with. I honestly think that that might be one of the biggest factors. And I know that that's sort of in a way unpleasant because it sort of suggests that being pally is effectively rewarded within football. But that is my experience, that that, that relationships and the strength of those relationships is key to getting deals over the line. Yeah. And when those are under strain or when someone is awkward or difficult or untrustworthy, or, or shall I say someone moves the goalposts, for example, regularly right. in negotiations – I think that is a key reason things don't work. Yeah, or even if you have somebody who's indecisive in a key yeah. position where, um, you know, they maybe don't commit when they could commit to get something done. Yeah, and and Arsenal still have that reputation. You, you know, if if I speak to a foreign agent, say uh, about a player that Arsenal are interested in. One of the first things they'll say is something like, again, speaking in general terms, it's like, well, you know, it's Arsenal. They need to make a decision. And I think a lot of that <laughs> does stem from kind of the Arsene Wenger prevarication habit where he would, you know, get into talks about a player and then have second thoughts or take a long time to reach a final decision. And um, that's still, that shadow is still around us. Yeah. The, the reputation within the industry is kind of one of, indecisiveness i'm not sure truthfully i'm not sure how accurate that is anymore but it's definitely still something we carry hmm. okay have you got a question yeah let's have a question um but that was a very interesting question i think it's such a fascinating topic I could talk about it all day uh what about oh, that's rafinha well, this is a sort of on the Leno situation from Matt Soup Gunner with the semi-credible, I'll take that, news of Fulham's interest in Leno. <laughs> You're semi-credible. What, <laughs> what is your comfort level with the goalkeeper situation after Ramsdale? And they said, as a US-based fan, I'm not fully sold on Matt Turner after watching him for club and country. Um, I would say, look, I need to see Matt Turner play for us before I make any decisions yeah, or make my mind up about him because I think that's the only way to do it. That's the only fair way to do it. Um, I have to say that I am surprised that this is 
the goalkeeper we've gone for. Mm. It is not a path well traveled, really, you know. There's not a huge track record. I know there's the lad at, at Man City, um, but he's second. Just, I mean, there have been American goalkeepers in the Premier League, of course. Um, you know. To be fair, yeah, they, ha- they have quite a decent tradition. It's the position in which they've probably globally excelled uh, yeah. the most. I mean, in the Premier League, you can think of... Brad Friedel. Uh, Brad Friedel, Brad Guzan, Casey Keller. Um, there may be more. Tyson de Geisen. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think they're in a position where well, once Matt Turner joins Arsenal, perhaps their first choice three goalkeepers will all be kind of backups at quite big clubs. Um, Tim Howard is another one, obviously. But mm. yeah, I'd, I'd have to check that out. But obviously, there's the fella at City. Stefan, Zach Stefan. Yeah, Stefan, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, so maybe in that sense, there is a, a track record, a bit of pedigree um, with, with US goalkeepers coming over. Mm. Yeah, look, I wait and see. Wait and see, wait and see him play. I, I've seen people say that shot stopping is his thing more than playing with the ball at his feet. And Absolutely, he did yeah. talk, I did an interview uh, in the athletic, I think recently, which was a good interview, um, and he talked yeah. about needing to, you know, to improve or needing to be more focused on that aspect of his game. I could be, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he was saying that uh, New England Revolution, you know, they, if in doubt, lump it. That's the kind of philosophy that he plays with at club level. Um, it's going to be a learning curve for him, then, isn't it? For sure, it is, I- and and maybe just that slight. Um, I mean, we talk about wanting variety in our strikers. We don't necessarily need to have variety in our goalkeepers, particularly if we brought in Aaron Ramsdale because of his ability to play with his feet. And that was something that Mikel Arteta was very interested in. Um, So there does seem to be a bit of a divergence between them. But look, let's get him over, let him uh, play some games. I'm assuming he's going to be the Europa League group stage goalkeeper. He's going to have to be, isn't he? Because he'll want to be in that American squad. I mean, there's a chance of him being number one um, mm. for the World Cup. So he'll, he'll want game time. Uh, I Yeah, I, again, I've not really seen him play. Do we we've know? Loads of, yeah, sorry, go on. I was going to say, we've got loads of American listeners who will have seen much more uh, than me. I hear he is a genuinely outstanding shot stopper. Brilliant, brilliant reflexes but a way to go on the other side of the game, you know, playing with his feet. And Arsenal, this regime have brought in probably two goalkeepers um, with very mixed results, shall we say. Um, and Alex Rinnerson was a bit of a disaster. Aaron Ramsdale, I think it's done a lot better than uh, most people expected. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see where Turner sits on that sort of scale. Do we know where the interest in Matt Turner came from. Like, because Inyaki Kanye is the goalkeeping coach, right? Yeah. Um, and he was the guy who recommended Runison. Now, I accept, even though I don't think it's ideal, but I accept that um, things were a little rushed back when we brought in Alex Runison because Emmy Martinez went to, um, to Aston Villa 
I don't know that we could necessarily have said we were caught on the hop, but maybe given the time that we were in the pandemic and everything else, um, we had to make a quick purchase and he was a guy that, that the goalkeeping coach knew. I mean, is he the guy who's scouted out Matt Turner? What's he definitely would have been involved. And to be fair, he would have been involved in Aaron Ramsdale as well, yeah. substantially. I mean, when it comes to the goalkeepers, the coaching staff um, do wield a bit more influence. It tends to sort of begin with them, as in they will, uh, I think, propose targets and then the kind of the analyst team will investigate those further. So I think right. Matt Turner will have been through all the checks, you know, that you would expect in a kind yeah. of rigorous organisation. But yeah, I think the coaching staff have had a big input in his arrival. Um, so yeah, it will, like I said, I, I'm open to it. I've heard some very good things um, from the States. And I've also heard that the playing out from the back might be a bit of an issue for him. It's only interesting because that feels like such an integral part of the way we play, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But look, if they've seen enough from him that they think he can slot in. Yeah. I mean, I mean nobody thought Ramsdale could play out from the back, really. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's more there that's untapped. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find but, out. But generally, I feel fairly comfortable with the goalkeeping situation. I mean, my understanding is that Carl Hine is in line to be number three after he had quite a sort of injury hit campaign last season he went on loan to Reading and mm. didn't play very much um but he's an international I think he played again for Estonia the other day uh the spiritual successor to Mark Mark Poom, Poom yeah uh and he's very highly rated and signed a new contract last year I think Arthur Conquo they're hoping to find someone to take him on loan which isn't always easy not everyone that's, wants a young goalie that's um, true isn't it you know you think yeah. about um even someone like Emmy Martinez who went on loan season after season where yeah. I mean he, he was at Reading he was at oh god he was at a whole host of clubs and never really during those loan spells did anything that made you think well this guy's going to come back and do it. So his loan, he went to Oxford United, Sheffield Wednesday, Rotherham United, Wolves, Getafe, yeah. and Reading on loan, where he had, I think Reading was probably his best loan. Yeah, that, that was the only one where he was an undisputed first choice. Yeah. And that was in the second half of a season. The other ones were season-long loans. And he was about 26 played. by then. Yeah. And you were going, well, then we got to 26, came into the team for Bernd Leno and did incredibly well. Um but it is. It and is was never heard of again. Where no, is he now? No, Honestly, no fell off the face of the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Keeps his mouth um, shut. Never says anything about <laughs> Arsenal. It's great. Um, Where is he? Yeah, I don't, I don't hear from him anymore. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, so finding a club who want to take. I mean, how old is Arthur Oconquo? Uh He is twenty one. Twenty. Finding a, a football league club who are either fighting for promotion or fighting for their life at the other end of the table to take a 20 year old goalkeeper who's, you know, barely played a minute of senior football uh, and are going to give him game time. Mm. That is a job easier said than done. Mm. Hopefully we do, because I think, you know, they've got high hopes for him and he's someone who is pretty comfortable on the ball, very good playing out from the back and right. sort of would be a good fit with the Arsenal model in future. Um, yeah, it's, uh, but I, I think to be honest, we're all right in that position. I mean, Turner is experienced. He's older than Ramsdale. He's played plenty of football. 
Do you think um, he? Do you think he'll be? I mean, he's an Arsenal fan as well. I thought that was a yeah. nice bit in his his interview where, like, he used to go to the early morning bars, um, wherever he um, was living at the time, and would sit among the Arsenal fans, at you know the classic seven a.m. kickoff. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, and now he's going to play for the club, uh, which is quite cool, really, when you think about it. Yeah. But, um, you know, obviously not the be-all and, and end-all or anything like that. But, I mean, do you think he's a guy who is aware that more than likely his role at the club is going to be the number two slash understudy for as long as he's here? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess the modern football being what it is, um, I mean, I guess he's going to come in and push as hard as he can, as any professional player would. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll know that he'll be getting some games. I think he'll feel... I imagine Arsenal will do the Europa League goalkeeper thing. Um, I'm fairly sure Aaron Ramsdale wouldn't want to do that. I think he'd probably... Having never played in Europe before, he'd probably be desperate to play. Mm, but I suspect... That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, but I suspect that the club will kind of honour Turner, at least in the group stages, um, and, mm. and give him those opportunities before the World Cup. And I think he will push. I mean, I think he'll feel, you know, he's an international goalkeeper. I think he'll feel he's got every chance. He's more experienced. Um, I think he'll be coming thinking, I've got an opportunity here. And if he impresses and if... If Ramsdale disappoints, I don't see, you know, he'll be the man next in line. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because the, the, the Arsenal number one is so young that as someone coming in, you're probably thinking, oh, there's, what's the succession plan here? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, how yeah. do I, how do I, uh, what are my opportunities going to be? But the life of a goalkeeper is, uh, you know, one lined with hazards. And mm. we've seen we've seen we've seen instances before of people stepping in, and you mentioned Emmy Martinez, really impressing and managing to kind of you know create a, a role for himself. Maybe it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Turner could do the same. Mm. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how he gets on because uh, to come back to what I've heard, I have heard that when it comes to pure shot stopping, he is absolutely out of the very top drawer. Mm. Very interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing him. Okay, here's a question from Wes M, who's at the Toshio on mm -hmm. Twitter. He says, James reporting for The Athletic says, we're looking for a left-sided centre-back, but I haven't seen many concrete links to this type of player. Do you think it's still a priority? And if so, what sort of profile would we be after? Uh, for example, experienced or a young prospect, etc.? Good question, because it's something I've been... Uh, sort of trying to find out myself because certainly it has been on the list. And actually, I think it is still on the list. I just think that some of the work that's going on around it is a bit quieter. Mm. I mean, funnily enough, Arsenal really went quite far to sign a left-sided centre-half in January. And it's interesting. I think we've got brilliant reporters uh, on Arsenal and most, almost everything the club, a lot of things the club do does come out in some way, shape or form, probably much to their frustration. But that really didn't um and it was the guy schlotterbeck who uh ultimately went to dortmund agreed to sign for them in in may i think uh left-footed german international center back why did why didn't it happen what what, what did the agent oh, do at the last germany. minute 
I yeah, he was at uh, the last minute. He uh, sneezed in his hand and then went to shake his hand immediately <laughs> without wiping it. And it all fell down. No, he wanted to stay in Germany, um, right. and he's got that. And Dortmund is a move that I guess makes a load of sense if you're a young German international. Uh, and then Bayern next, probably. Mm. But um, I think there are still things happening in the background, actually, um, which is fascinating because... Yeah. <laughs> I, thought uh, we were, I thought we were going to get through the whole podcast without well, having I, to I mean, mention. <laughs> yeah, because, would, because obviously we've got Rob Holding, we've got uh, Gabrielle, we've got Ben White... Congratulations on your engagement, um, Fat Ben White, from his new... <laughs> it was, it was an, an awkward-looking picture. I was going, there, did he eat another version of himself? But it was just a very <laughs> He ate shirt. his previous wife um, <laughs> and then had to propose to a new one. No. Um, and then there's this French guy. Name escapes me. Mm, I think I've heard talk of this kid. Yeah. So what's interesting is... If you're still pursuing a left-sided centre-half, does that mean anything bad for one of those guys? I mean, I seem to remember the days when having five centre-backs was kind of okay, you know, that you could carry five in a squad. I seem to remember us having five. But I also remember us just having three. I remember starting a season with... But was that good? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that was good, but we had Vermaelen, Mertesacker, Koscielny, and then... Monreal, I think, was our yeah. fourth central defender. Basically. I mean, bear in mind, we also have Tommy Asu, who I think uh, yeah. you can definitely include among that group of very, very capable centre-backs. So, yeah, I, I, I don't want to put two and two together and make five, but I do think it's interesting that there is still some background work being done on a left-sided centre-back. So, maybe. yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's just good practice, you know. Maybe it's just the case that in an ideal squad, you would have a, left, a couple of left-sided centre-halves and therefore, if we find the right opportunity, something we might do. I do think Saliba is seen more on the right-hand side. I would say that. I think they see him and Ben White as kind of, you know... Yeah. Uh, sort of... What's the word? Parallel. Uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's it, it's an interesting one to consider when obviously people will be going well now. They're bringing a left-sided centre half. You know, does that mean they can have five centre halves? Will they want to sell one of them? Will it be Saliba? And that's obviously going to spark that conversation. But a sensible thing in the grand scheme of things might be at this point to say, you know what, Rob Holding, you're a nice guy good job, fair play, you've come in, uh, you've been pretty reliable, but maybe now is the time to maximise whatever value he has as yeah, an English I mean, defender. You know, eminently yeah. plausible. Yeah, uh, Rob Holding's 26. He's got two years left on his contract. Yeah, his you're... stock is relatively high. Obviously, his head fell off against Tottenham, but apart from that... Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean that's not beyond the realms of possibility. Because you know, with Tommy Asu there, I'm not sure you need five other centre halves. No, I don't think as so. much as we like cent buying centre halves. I don't think. But yes, you do. it's not completely off the agenda. So make of that what you will. 
Okay. Well, um, we let people make up their own minds on that one. Um, what about this one, Sean on. Adams? A rumour we didn't mention. I don't know if you caught this one. What do you think about Leandro Trossard? He is likely to move from Brighton this summer and has the skills and flexibility to play various forward roles. Is he a good fit? That's... Um... That is an interesting one. Did you I, see that Belgian press? It was, was um, it? saying that Arsenal are interested in Leandro Trossard. I've heard Manchester United as well mentioned. I have to be honest. I get all the Brighton players quite muddled up. He has a face that reminds me of. Um, remember Alan Smith? Yeah, that used to former Leeds, former United, Leeds, and Manchester United clipped. player. Yeah, sort of like he's been brought back to life somehow, yeah. reanimated, but he hasn't quite cast off the pallor of death. Mm. I don't quite know what it is about his face that does that to me. But, um, like, he's got a year left at Brighton. He's 27. What were his stats last season? Um, he's a left winger, right-footed left winger, so I guess he could play on the right-hand side. Um, eight goals, three assists. Eight goals, three assists. I mean, it's not bad. Doesn't sound amazing, but in a team like Brighton, who don't score a lot of goals, and it's a, it's you know better than a lot of players we've had down the years. Yeah, um, and he did score against us as well, didn't he? Um, well, he can't. He, if we buy him, he can't do that anymore. That's true. We've cut off one of their. If we merely buy all the players, <laughs> I think um, my I'd be slightly surprised by the age. That's all. 27, 28 at Christmas. Mm. I'd be a little bit surprised about that. I mean, there is an argument to be made that you do need some players yeah. in their prime years. I agree with that. I see um, I see the value of sort of, and I'd probably rather we brought in a relatively affordable 27-year-old than an over-the-hill 32-year-old. There was a question about that, actually. It comes from um, Paulie Boy on Twitter, who's at P. Fortunato 1985. And he says, do you think the peak years of a player have reduced to a lower age over the years? It's always thought to be 26 to 28. Well, I guess sort of 26 to 30 is sort of, um, you know, what you consider a player's prime years. But now with the improvement of club academies, youth development, giving young players lots of experience early on, we see players breaking into top flight squads much earlier in their careers, making headlines at 21, 23, possibly hitting their peaks at younger ages. Bellerin, Wilshire, Ramsey, and he has Sack and Smith Rowe in there as well. So yeah. please discuss. And I do wonder if, you know, I, I think there is a need to bring in players in their um, uh, prime in inverted commas, but I wonder if 24, 25 allows you still to get those years out of them while maintaining a certain value in the transfer market when they come to the end of a contract or whatever it might be, you know? I wonder if that's part of the thinking. I don't know if, if that is part of Arsenal's strategy, but I feel like it would be sensible to at least consider that after going through a period where the value of players... Uh, that we've let go for nothing has been enormous. You know, players who would have had substantial transfer market value, but who have left for nothing, left for free. Um, and that feels like an unsustainable way to to invest in players because when we talk about investing in the squad, it's what they can give you. But of course, the financial aspect is something you have to consider as well. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I think also... Um 
deserves some credit for persistence because I think we were asked this question last week and I never got round to it. Um, right. But it's a really good question. And I do think that some of the conventional language around peak ages in football is probably a little bit outdated. In, My suspicion in, in is both it may ways, vary though. based on position. But it do, doesn't it go both ways where you can have someone like Lewandowski doing what he's doing at his age when, you know, conventional yeah, wisdom I, I guess would tell you. Yeah, I of are, are those guys the exception? I'm not sure. Like, you, you know, you're, you're trying to. Yeah, I think I think they are. Yeah, like I think individual cases is one thing, like a Ronaldo or someone who keeps going, but I think you're trying to find what's the general trend. I mean, I had a fascinating conversation. I was sort of discussing uh, your friend of mine, Serge Gnabry, with someone within the football industry. Mm. And they were saying, well, you know, he's a winger and he's 26. <laughs> and I was thinking like 26 and they're like, yeah, he's 26, he's 27 next month. And for a winger, yeah, that's, uh, that's getting on a bit. And wow. 26. It, yeah, I know. But then I, I think that there may be something to that. I do wonder, it'd be a fascinating study. If you did it position by position, you know, what are, what are, what are actually the prime ages? You know, it, well, here's an idea for your next piece. In the yeah, exactly. I know what have I signed myself up for here? <laughs> Yeah. But I do think that's a really interesting question. You know, is it different for a winger than it is for a centre-half? You presume so, right? Yeah. It's long been known that it's different for a goalkeeper. Um, centre-forward, I think, is a fascinating one and one that's particularly pertinent to Arsenal right now. I think that does seem to be a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think generally that idea of like, you know, 24 to 28, Maybe it kind of averages out at that across all the positions, mm. but the reality is surely more nuanced. And I do think that, yeah, between the ages of kind of 21 and 23, there are a lot of players who are quite productive, it seems, that yeah, these days. that is for sure. And we better hope so, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we've got plenty of them. Um, look, I think we've done transfers to death, so let's have one to finish here. And it comes from AFC Met on the Discord, who says... Arsene Wenger now has Instagram. Don't know if you saw that over the weekend. <laughs> I followed him. I followed did you? Him. I didn't. I didn't yet. Um, but uh, Just AFC boomerangs of him, you know, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> lots of filters. Yeah. <laughs> He's got bunny ears on and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh, the question is, what social media activity would you be surprised to see Arsene Wenger interact with? I think if if he does the. Um, if he starts getting on board with TikTok dances, yeah. uh, I'll be alarmed. Uh, there's a what's the one at the moment? Lizzo. There's a big Lizzo one doing the rounds. I, do, I don't. Um, I don't TikTok. I don't TikTok, but it's even this has permeated even my uh, wow. consciousness. Um, fascinating, actually. Apparently, there's this sort of huge phenomena within the music industry because I don't know how long a TikTok is. How long is a TikTok? I mean, the I, kids I listening to this are going to be like, "How old are these men?" Sixty seconds. I don't. Do they? Are they only sixty seconds? I didn't think it was like Vine because Vine was only six or seven seconds. Uh, it was extended to sixty in twenty seventeen. I don't know what it is now, but it's 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 finite. It's up, I know to, that it's up to ten minutes. Apparently, I just googled how long is a TikTok. <laughs> I can now be up to ten minutes. Fine. Now we up to ten minutes. There but you go. So. For whatever reason, in general, these TikTok trends 
I, 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 I just had a moment where I just saw myself from the outside t- trying to talk about TikTok. I was like, <laughs> you are a million years old. <laughs> I'm uh, feel, 36 yeah. this week, actually, on Thursday. Um, and this conversation is making me feel every day of that. But basically, the music industry are now encouraging artists to create songs that can be shared in sort of 30-second bursts for viral dances on TikTok. Is that not the whole concept of a chorus? Yeah, you'd be surprised. (laughs) It's not not just the chorus. But then apparently there's a kind of secondary phenomenon where a lot of kids, like, know songs but only know the bit that's in the sort of viral TikTok dance. Um, Right. I don't know where this ends up. Songs just start being 30 seconds long, probably. Scary. Yeah. Where are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Arsene if Arsene Wenger does the Lizzo dance on TikTok, then yeah, be I think, I think we, he'll have gone too far there for sure. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Arsene Wenger, like, on Twitch, you know, live. Yeah, li- that's true. Playing what? Like Call Football of manager. <laughs> <laughs> Football manager. What else? Uh, I will not buy anyone today. <laughs> Will yeah. I, won't I, yeah. look good? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, so, so playing something like that. Yeah, Call he of Duty or... Turn, you know, a football manager, there's an option to not allow yourself to do transfers in the first window so that you start the season accurately with the squad that, um, oh, you know, your actual teams start the season. He would, he would definitely click that option. Oh, that sounds like a boring... It's so boring. Who would ever click that? It's been a while since I played any football manager, championship manager. I can't afford it. I can't. My life would come off the rails. It's just too... I don't know how. I went to work, Mm. had a social life, Mm. played football manager, watched television and movies, played sports. How did I do all that? I don't know. Back in the day. How did I consume so much stuff? Whereas nowadays, it doesn't feel like I've got time to do fucking anything. The short answer is you weren't doing as many podcasts then. Oh, that's true, actually. Podcast is fucking <laughs> You weren't spending life. as much time with me trying to figure out what TikTok is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that could well explain it, actually. Um, well, look, I will give Arsene Wenger a, a follow on Instagram. Yeah, why See not? See what it's all about. I mean the world to him, I'm sure. Because <laughs> it's definitely him doing it and not an agency or, you know, yeah, anybody yeah. else. It's definitely Arsene Wenger taking sure. all those photos on his phone, for sure. For sure, no question. Because, you know, he's always been that, that techno guy. We know that. He's always been about social media. He loves it. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> entitled to their opinion, etc. <laughs> the comments. He'll be replying individually to every comment, I think. He loves the democratisation of opinion. He loves that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, he, he loves what social media's done. To How many Instagram posts have you made in your life? <laughs> <laughs> and you're here to tell me about mine. Uh, all right. I think we'll leave it there for today. Um, yeah. Loads of transfer chat in this. People loads. love that. They'll be overjoyed. But no transfers. So now they're all sad again. We don't do the transfers, mate. That's not our job. No, 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 no. They'd be done. If it was up to us, they'd be done. Dusted. You know, everyone would be on their holidays, happy as Larry, getting ready for preseason. We'd have the whole squad sorted out by now. But look, you know, football doesn't beat to our drum, unfortunately. Sadly. All right. Well, look, uh, happy birthday in advance to you for Thursday. Thanks, guys. I just got that in so that you can all prepare your presents for Thursday. (laughs) 
<laughs> a raft of tweets on Thursday for James's birthday. Um, we will be uh, here on Friday. Of course, we'll have an Arsecast for you. We'll do something hopefully midweek as well uh, on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsebog. As ever, though, thank you very much indeed for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 